0: You know, it doesn't always work. But when it even works for a moment, it's gold.
1: Welcome to Beyond the Fourth Wall. In this weekly podcast, we're investigating how the skills we cultivate as theater artists transfer beyond our theater industry. I'm Lindy Franklin-Smith, the Artistic Director of the Lexington Theater Company.
0: And I'm Joseph Wrightson. The creative media designer for the Lex.
1: Each week, we'll conduct guest interviews with creatives from across many different industries.
0: And every couple of episodes, I'll hop in with Lindy for a conversation connecting the dots, finding the through line, and learning how to apply those theater skills to our everyday lives.
1: We're so glad you're here, and we hope you're ready to go
0: beyond the
1: fourth wall. Hello, listeners. If you're enjoying your time with us going beyond the fourth wall, we hope you also might want to join us behind the curtain. This new exciting event from the Lexington Theatre Company kicks off Saturday, December 5th, 2020 with a trip behind the curtain to explore the holiday classic White Christmas. Join us for this interactive Zoom event where we'll have performances from Broadway cast members and an interactive Q&A with cast members and creative team members from the Broadway company. You won't want to miss this exciting event where you can commune with your fellow theater goers online and experience the magic of storytelling from the comfort of your own home. And if you're in the central Kentucky area, you'll want to add on our special white Christmas inspired dinner to go from chef Wita Michael. You'll be able to order online and pick up at Zim's prior to the event. For all the information and to purchase tickets, Visit us at LexingtonTheatreCompany.org. In today's episode, we're chatting with Lexington-based restaurateur Rob Perez. In 2008, Rob, along with his wife Diane, created, developed, and now operate Saul Good Restaurant and Pub here in Lexington, Kentucky. Rob and Diane also founded Deviate Kitchen as a social enterprise focused on giving second chance employment opportunities to people in recovery from drug or alcohol addiction. Please welcome Rob. Rob Perez, welcome to beyond the fourth wall at the Lexington Theater Company. We're so glad to have you with us here today. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you for having me. I appreciate it very much.
1: Oh, I am just so delighted for our listeners to get to know you. Of course, many of our listeners know your restaurants very well. Saul Good and Deviate Kitchen, in fact, Many a Lex opening night party has been held at the, the downtown location of Saulgood. Many an actor, a designer, a creative team member has dined at that Saulgood location right across from the Lexington Opera House. So we know you so well. We sort of feel like you're part of our Lex family. And I'm so excited for our listeners to get to know a little bit more of your story today.
0: Thank you. And thank you for your graciousness. The parties have been awesome. The people are just inspiring and just so much fun. So thank you.
1: Oh, We we just love working with you and your team. And I want to start off just by talking about how Saul Good came to be. You know, one of our favorite things that we talk about at the Lexington Theater Company, is the power of storytelling. And you have told such a beautiful story with Saul Good, and I didn't even know the process of the inception, the character of Saul Good that you created to to come up with the aesthetic and the menu. It blew my mind. Can you walk us through how Saul Good came to be? Yeah,
0: so... Um... I was at the Disney Company, and we were researching a sports concept in the Hancock Building in Chicago. And we first did unaided awareness in a focus group. And they said, well, when you think of, they asked all the participants, when you think of maybe a restaurant, what restaurants do you not want to see any more of? That was the first question. 100% 100% of everybody that talked in that focus group said they don't want a sports bar. And we were trying to figure out a sports concept. It was brutal. <laughs> it was not a good way to start. Because sports bars at that point, and this was in the middle 90s, had become ubiquitous. So really, Chili's, Applebee's, Friday's, everybody was a sports bar with screens and all that kind of good stuff. So... I took that and I thought, wow, we're about ready to invest a huge amount of money into a sports concept, and it was committed fact already. And I just filed that away. Then about two years later, I remember hearing that 70% of all decisions about where to dine, when to dine, when it happens, is driven by a woman. And then I started dreaming about opening up a restaurant on our own. I had kind of done the whole corporate thing for years and I just thought, what would be a good restaurant? Well, funny things like being fired where it requires you to figure out what you're gonna do for your next job, right? I tried to convince my wife to open up what came out of those two things in Los Angeles. And she said no because it was too expensive in Los Angeles. But how about let's get some place that we love and some place that we could afford to live and open up a restaurant. But basically, she kicked the can down the road. But the idea that I had pitched to her was that we were going to try to open up a restaurant that would be vetoed by a woman, and so. We went to work on branding and trying to figure out what that all meant. And it was a really fun process born out of that conversation that we had with a focus group on the Hancock building in Chicago, you know, 10 years
1: before. Let's walk back just a little bit. You and your wife, Diane, where were you before Lexington? And how did you decide on Lexington, Kentucky? What was the the tie-in?
0: So we met in the central valley of california moved to dallas texas then moved to orlando then moved to miami then moved back to los angeles then moved to new orleans and we were trying to figure out what our next stop was we got a call from a head hunter. they said hey what do you think about moving to lexington kentucky well my wife was a flight attendant the first you know, 12 years of our marriage. And it was perfect because I was traveling a bunch and we could meet in the middle. Well, funny enough, one Christmas, snowy Christmas, my wife had to work and I decided to join her on the trip. We had 24 hours, the full day of Christmas, in Lexington, Kentucky. How perfect. We ate Joe Bologna's on Christmas Eve, and it was a blast. It was beautiful, people were kind. The instant that that headhunter said, what about Lexington, Kentucky? I thought that was one of the only three or four places that we had ever gone while we had flight benefits, which is a lot of places, where we said we would love to settle down there someday. And so it was an instant yes, and I really worked hard at trying to get the job, and it moved us there. And after a couple years, my wife finally said yes, and we were able to open up the concept that we had developed, you know, two or three years before.
1: I love that story so much. I'm so glad you found Lexington so lovely and charming because we're so lucky to have you and Diane here in our community. So, so you've, you've moved to Lexington. You, you, you've gotten this new job, but the dream is still there opening your own restaurant. You've, you've got those stories filed in your brain from the, the branding focus groups. So tell us about how Saul Good was born.
0: Well, What we did is we started trying to figure out how best to explain our brand. And Disney was awesome. And so was the Hard Rock Cafe who I was with for 10 years about trying to form a theme. And the idea was, what if you could tell a story to try to be able to explain your brand? The idea is, is that you wanted to think about your business as a country. If you have flags and colors and customs and secret handshakes, the more the better, right? So what we tried to do is we tried to create a small, simple story about Saul Good, who was a jeweler's son who grew up in the jewelry business. But what he loved after working on Saturdays with his dad was that he would go to the local haunts Have a good discussion with families and his friends and eat and entertain and have a great time. Well, he did take over the family business and he ended up doing great at it, but he had to start buying and selling when his father didn't want to, you know, want to travel. Well, that food and entertainment and enjoying people's interaction and, you know, entertaining was wonderful for him. So he would go. Whether it was China or the main place he went was Belgium because it's the diamond mark of Europe and there were three things that he fell in love with, chocolate, beer, and waffles. And so he started bringing home those, anything to do with those ingredients home and he would try to figure out the best recipes then he would go to California and find fresh produce when he was buying and selling jewelry. And then he would go to, you know, Hawaii and taste the pineapple. And then he would go to Argentina and find churrasco sauce. And so what we decided was that was the story of Saul Good, right? Because at some point Saul Good decided that he absolutely loved the jewelry business, but he loved the restaurant entertainment thing, even better. And the way that we explain that is, is that when you walk in, all of the woodwork looks like it could be jewelry, jewelry canisters and jewelry displays, there are chandeliers. There's obviously mirrors all over so that people could see their jewelry. And the whole idea is so that the screens that are in the bar are small, because we wanted the woman not to veto vote and a parallel item is jewelry if a woman is going to be the decider to say yes to this place might as well put a companion discussion about the jewelry and that's how we came up with what is our look how do we do it what do we do you know it's that's the whole idea
1: i love this story, this concept so much. You are storytelling through food, storytelling through your aesthetic of your restaurant. Top to bottom, it's a theatrical production. It's so much of the same kind of work that we're doing across the street at the Opera House. You have this primary character, Saul Good. You've developed an incredible narrative, an arc of his life from jeweler who loved entertaining to restaurateur. You've got incredible detailed background character work. This is all of the same work that we do with our actors when we're developing the characters that they're going to play on the stage. It just was so inspiring to me to learn this about you and Diane and how you came up with the concept for your restaurant. I mean, how parallel, how neat is that? You are truly a storyteller. We just have different mediums. I'm just so inspired.
0: It's all the same. And when you're, when you're going into a business, you want it to be emotional. I think that that's how brands build themselves, You could build the widget, right, and you could just say, hey, this is the best widget you'll ever have, but if there's not some sort of really organic and authentic reason on why you're doing it, and that you can't get everybody from the guest to your employees from top to bottom to your managers to your vendors to understand who you are and what you are, then it's difficult. It's difficult to get someone to come back and identify with something as straightforward as a pizza and a burger and a pasta and a sandwich and a steak, you know, because it's just a steak. It's not emotional.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I feel like storytelling, it's so important to our human needs, our human needs, you know, whether it's a night in the theater immersing yourself in someone else's journey or stepping foot into Saul Good and feeling like you're being transported to another time and place and enjoying your Belgian waffle and your beer, those chicken and waffles. It's a, oh, it's a, it's a do not miss on that menu. Uh, But I, I just think it is so important to, to who we are as a community and who we are as humans. And I just love exploring how the culinary world and the theatrical world specifically were just v- so parallel different mediums but same goal i think that's really really neat
0: it is so much the same thing the underlying emotion behind everything it's nostalgia you know all of us we form what we eat by what our mama made us And when we smell those smells or taste those tastes, it just takes us back, you know, and it's big. And then it's such a great thing to be able to try food that you have no idea about. If there's an ethnic food, I mean, it reminds you of when you were in this tropical place or on vacation or whatever, and it reminds you of good times. There is such a connection between, you know, really our taste buds and our heart. It's unbelievable.
1: Oh, 100%. 100%. I've had so many rich conversations with our mutual friend, Chef Weta Michael, about these parallels. And one of the things that she and I talk about a lot is our creative process as, you know. chefs and restaurateurs and theater makers, creativity is a huge part of what we do. When it came to developing that menu really specifically, I mean, you are so creative. What was that process like? How did you go from Belgium and waffles and beer and to this curated, beautiful, creative menu?
0: Well, we did it one, literally one ingredient at a time one dish at a time and we tried to look at every single ingredient what can we do to it to make it the best it possibly can be and a big giant shout out to a friend and a a collaborator on this menu chef uh, jeff mayer who was with us for eight years and just celebrated his birthday so love chef happy happy birthday chef it was just one ingredient at a time and tried to make it the best we possibly could for the value
1: one ingredient at a time. Our our processes are so similar. I mean, we literally talk about, you know, the building blocks starting one piece at a time. And then before you know it, you have that masterpiece on stage. I want to shift gears a little bit. You know, I what we're unpacking in this podcast is it are these parallels, and and so far we've talked about storytelling and the brilliant story of Saul Good and the creative practice. I want to talk next about empathy, which is a hugely important part of why we make theater, giving folks the opportunity to walk in somebody else's shoes for a few minutes. Uh, It's sort of an act of service, I think, of the theater. And you have created an incredibly empathic, beautiful service in Deviate Kitchen. And I would love to talk about how that idea came to be and how Deviate was born.
0: So 100%, I was 100% against it. I didn't want to do it. I thought it was a complete waste of time and my wife wanted to do it. And she had several triggers. She tried to use levers on me to convince me, you know, as a community person, shouldn't we do it? As a restaurant guy, you know, our industry has addiction because the whole idea is to hire people in early stages of substance use disorder recovery. And uh, folks that are in that position frequently have gaps in their employment. They don't have a reference. And a lot of times they have a felony, and a lot of times they have incarceration. It's difficult for folks to get jobs. And I said no. No, 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 no. And um, she took me seven blocks away from where we are in between us uh, on Short Street, and five blocks over, and I watched a woman get out of a car that didn't look like her and didn't look like the man that she was getting in, and she walked out, and she had something clasped in her hand. And I, you know, she didn't have lipstick and high-heel shoes and a long dress. I had to ask the policeman, I said, is that woman currently practicing prostitution? And he said yes. And that was a lot to gather. And when she got out of that car, she was walking with purpose catty-corner to two guys that were incredibly scary-looking. I would be walking away not towards. When she opened up her hand I realized several things that that was the money in her hand that she had just earned in that car. I realized that she never put that money in her pocket and I couldn't believe the denom- I was so close I could see the denomination. And because we're on radio it was $5. What did she do that was worth $5? What would you want your sister to do, your best friend, your wife, your mom? And how incredibly tearing that was at my heart. But because I struggle sometimes with my authentic self... I went home and told my wife that that was tragic and it made me cry and it was the worst thing ever but I still wasn't going to do the restaurant. But then she took me down a rabbit hole where she was explaining to me that in my faith I'm very transactional. I I'm happy to do turkeys on Thanksgiving, go help you know feed folks when someone calls. No one gives more gift cards than the you know, it's all good and deviate, but those are all transactions, and what we really need is relationships, and that's what being a boss is. And if we do it right, it's going to be a relationship. And I'm like, yeah, well, we've tried this already. You know, we've t- tried to hire sixty people in eight years at the other restaurants. We had two weeks net average, average that they stayed with us, and it was eight hundred dollars to hire and train them. So I said, there's no way this is a viable business. Even a social enterprise has to pay its bills. She says, you don't get it. What did you just see downtown that that is so close to the restaurant we operate? Did you see her heart? Did you see how difficult it was? Someone just needs to give her a relationship. I said, no. She says, okay, here's the deal is that man and woman in the middle of courtship getting ready to have a wedding at a church, have 2.2 kids. They're getting married, right? I go, what are you talking about? She goes, oh, that's not a relationship? Well, I still didn't get it. And she says, that was a transaction. That woman in that setting... It wasn't a relationship. It was a transaction. And in your faith, you practice more transactions and not enough relationships. And you, as a community person, as a person of faith, to the people of Lexington, you need to offer relationships. And that's how you need to give of yourself. You got one more chance to So, what do you say? And I said, you're right. And that's what made me change, and that's why we went out and started deviate. Ultimately, and it was her pushing for years. I tell everybody that you know, in business school they teach you if you want to know if you have a good organization, add an irritant. It's the the whole idea about an oyster and having a little bit of irritation by the sand, and what does it create? I like to think that, you know. My wife created a beautiful pearl for us to share with other people. But if, if it wasn't for her little irritation all the time, that this would have never, ever happened. And I'm so eternally grateful to her for sticking with it and just making sure that
1: I saw the light. So, describe for our listeners who may not know exactly what Deviate Kitchen does, you describe it as second chance employment. So, tell us exactly what that means.
0: Many of the people that we hire can't get a job at a, at a traditional business because they don't have good work history. They have been incarcerated, they come from frequently generational poverty the wrong side of the tracks, if you will. And uh, they have a past of addiction. And they can't come and tell you that they have steady employment before. They can't tell you that they're an expert at much. And frequently, they don't get jobs. Well, we feel like if someone is in recovery and can prove it, then they deserve a job. If you're gonna go through and investigate your life and try to rebuild it, how are you gonna do it without a job? We talk a lot about really the systematic uh, approach to excluding people of color. Well, we do the same thing with folks that have a past. We systematically eliminate them from any kind of employment pool Because we automatically, within the rights of of our laws, can exclude someone even with just an arrest. They don't even have to have a conviction. And so our HR policies are really, really uh, old, outdated, and generally really punitive. When someone has paid their debt to society, we think that people should have a free shake at any job. But... The reality of it is, is that we don't, and we had to figure out a way to show success. So we partnered up with seven different residential living facilities, and when we need someone, we call them because they provide a house. They provide a social worker that works them through a a behavior modification therapy. They also test. We have one of those houses send us an employee when we need it, and then we say, hey, do you want this job? Are you committed to staying in recovery? Frequently, we don't even ask them if you've ever worked in a restaurant. And if they say yes, we say, okay, go back to the house, sign a HIPAA document saying that your social worker will tell us if you're in the house, if you're working a program, and if all of your tests are clean, and then you're going to come back and sign an employment contract that says, if any of if you don't have a house, if you don't have a program, and if you can't test clean, that you've sacrificed the right to this job. And we try to use the job as leverage to keep people safe and in recovery. And they know that it's very hard to get a job and they're getting a chance to make 13 plus dollars an hour. And if they say no to it, they won't have this job. So I've never had anybody say no. They go have that HIPAA document signed. They come and sign the employment contract. And then it starts. Then we start loving them in to trying to understand that it's about effort and standards and relationships. The relationships are you got to love yourself, man. You got to love your employees. Okay, you don't have to like them, but you got to love them. We, we really explore the opportunity to, to, to love a higher power, too. Uh, We have a certain brand of faith. We don't push it on them, but if they ask, we're happy to share. And the whole idea is is that if you have high effort, high standards, and great relationships at work, you learn how to be gainfully employed. You learn how to get a raise. You learn how to get a promotion. You learn how to get to the right field that matches your God-given abilities. And it's no harder than that. We try to love them all the way, uh, but we also are very standard-driven and and very straightforward. And we all are trying to live an authentic, transparent life. And that's really what Deviate is. And the cool part for the customer, it's pretty good. We bake all of our own bread. You know, it's funny, with uh, 100% of all of our employees in recovery, last year Yelp uh, rated all the restaurants in America, and uh, they put Deviate in the mix, and and we were the fortieth highest rated restaurant in all of America.
1: Amazing! Congratulations, that's huge.
0: Thank you, and that's a workforce force that most ninety percent of every business would never hire our people. Wow,
1: Rob, what an incredible story, and. My goodness, Diane, I'm so glad she was persistent. <laughs> I'm so glad she didn't let you off the hook. But wow, what an incredible gift uh, that you are giving not just to our community here in Lexington, but to all of the people who you are lifting up through deviate. And I can firsthand say the food is amazing. Every time I pop in there it, in pre COVID times, it would be packed. Of course we're not, <laughs> we're, we're recording this in different times, but, but I I'm curious, I, you re, you've reached such heights, obviously with that Yelp review or uh, ranking and, I know how much everyone adores Deviate Kitchen. I've got to imagine, though, especially with the reservations you had beginning it, did it feel like you were stepping out on a huge limb, taking a huge risk? You have this very successful chain going on in Lexington with three locations of Saul Good. What, what was that like, stepping out onto that limb and starting Deviate?
0: We We almost went bankrupt. Mm. We opened up. And two factors happened. The summit opened up, and so it spread out all of our customers. And secondly, our guests are the ones that made us great, right? But initially, there was more people worried about their personal safety or their pocketbook and thought that they were going to get get a crappy $6 sandwich so they didn't come in. We literally had to fight Claw, scratch, beg people to come in and just try it. But people knew our mission and unfortunately were worried about it. It was literally maybe two weeks away from going completely bankrupt. The emotions that were all wrapped up into that really uh, were escalated when we realized how wonderful the people were in recovery that we had hired. And the thought of having to tell them that we had to close the doors drove Diane and I like you wouldn't believe.
1: But you persevered, you pushed through, and it's a huge success. In the theater, we talk often about taking those creative and artistic risks, and it can feel scary, and it can feel uncertain, but sometimes the greatest rewards are on the other side. Of the fear. Does that resonate with you when you think about Deviate?
0: You know, um, I've had a fun career and I've been blessed at, at certain points of my life to make a lot of money and kind of have a fancy job, and people thought it was really, really cool uh, some of the things I got to do. But we don't make hardly anything. Uh, I mean, I'm serious, it's not much <laughs> at Deviate and I'm glorified busser and I work my butt off and it's the it's better than any gold could ever be and when there's just even a momentary victory that they have or a smile when they wouldn't smile at the beginning or to get them comfortable enough to trust you or with their deepest darkest secrets and then you do that with them and You know, it doesn't always work, but when it even works for a moment, it's gold.
1: What a beautiful, beautiful gift that you have given to so many, so many. We here in Lexington and central Kentucky, we are so lucky to have you, Rob Perez and your wife, Diane. We are so grateful and so thankful for all you've done for our community. We Love how much you support the theater and you support the Lex we're so glad to have you uh, in our team and um, thank you so much for being here with us today what a beautiful conversation thank you so much
0: bunch of luck with this this, this is just fabulous and we love being a tiny little piece of it thank you
1: out more about the work of rob and diane perez visit saulgoodpub.com deviatekitchen.com or follow them on social media at saulgood and at deviatekitchen we're so glad you joined us beyond the fourth wall. To find out more about the Lexington Theatre Company, visit our website, lexingtontheatrecompany.org, and follow us on social media at the Lex Theatre Co. Be sure to check out our brand new artist development program at the Lex. This online learning platform offers classes for third graders through professionals as we discover and empower the artist within. You might also enjoy monthly motivations, free monthly classes for third graders through professionals. Find out more at our website and we hope you'll join us here at the Lex.